Today, I'm joined with a friend of mine, Marcus Feezy, who's his own buyer's advocate out in the Northern Beaches um, with the company Purple Avenue. So mate, appreciate you coming on board today. And I think a good place to start is, tell us a little about your background, how you got into buyer's advocacy and what that looks like for you now. Yeah, for sure. So thank you for having me. First and foremost, thank you for the three Welcome. So mate, my, my journey, I suppose, starts back in a small town in New Zealand where I grew up. Anyone who's listening or watching from New Zealand, um, if you've heard of Levin, that's where I'm from. You're laughing or crying with pity. It's not. It's not <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, it's not really worth worth trekking to, if I'm honest with you. But yeah, grew up there. Um, Is that South or North Island? Bottom of the North Island. It's like an hour north of Wellington. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, cool. It's, cool. It's the capital. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up there. Um, did my uni in Wellington, and then a month after I finished university, I. I just packed a bag, bought a one-way ticket, and moved over to Australia. That's crazy. At the age of 21, I believe. Uh, moved to the Gold Coast. All right, I didn't have a whole lot of a plan, to be honest. I had a degree in commerce. I've been working in banking whilst I was in Wellington. So I suppose I had a couple of tools there. Um, mm. I had a really good network on the Gold Coast, actually in the rugby league scene. And I started my own uh, player agency, player management business with the NRL. So I did that and ran that for you know, three or four years. But whilst I was doing that, I also worked in finance, which is where we met, of course, around the days, <laughs> hang um, So that obviously working in residential finance, much like yourself, you get kind of a good understanding, I suppose, as to what that purchase process looks like. And you get to see it from an angle that the majority of people don't get to see it from. Mm. Okay, see so from a lender's perspective, you see the, the velocity, the things that can go wrong, and everything else, which you know eventually inspired me to be here. Um, but yeah, look, I did that for the better part of five years before transitioning to organisation. Mm. Why did you decide to transition from uh, being in the rugby league scene? Because obviously. As, as a young guy, even myself, like that's something that a lot of people aspire to do and work with players and big names. It sounds like a pretty cool career. Why would you transition? Yeah, it was cool. I'll tell you that. I mean, spending my weekends and, and evenings watching junior football is, is still a passion of mine and something I like to be involved in. Um, like to be honest, uh, the reason that I, I did exit, I, I had uh, an unfortunate circumstance where one of my players got really unwell. Mm. and he actually eventually passed away, yeah. um, which was very challenging at the time from being fully transparent. Um, and I, I couldn't see myself being fully invested in the game at that point. Even as a fan, I kind of had to... Take sit. a step back, yeah. Yeah, I started watch for you for you know, a bit of part of 12 months. Yeah, wow. Um, and yeah, at the same time, I suppose it allowed me able to focus and hone my skills where I was getting some momentum at the time, which was in the financing. Okay, and why did you d decide to transition from financing or, or mortgage broking to buy to doing buyers agency? And why did you decide to move from sunny Gold Coast down to <laughs> Sydney? Yeah, you make it zero time bad. I try and spin it. Um, I do have on Northern Beaches, so that's probably the closest. Yeah. Look, I think for me, it was working with so many brokers and seeing their purchase process and seeing the weight of emotion and seeing the challenges and difficulty things that could go wrong and what that meant for the client was a real eye-opener, right? You would have seen the same thing, man. Like, 
it's all very well when you see it as a, as a regular person buying a property. You know, you, all you see is effectively someone looks at a property and decides they want to buy it, they put an offer in, they exchange on a contract and mm. they get the keys, mm. you know, 42 days later. Mm. But being on the other side of the fence, the amount of stuff that can go wrong with the type of security, the mm. lending policy, but the big ones, what that actually means, right? Mm. So someone purchasing a home, man, like it's the biggest purchase mm. of their life. You don't want someone to have such a negative experience. And I saw that so many times, I saw the stress and the anxiety and the go from the broker to the client and I thought it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. You know, there's gotta be ways that people can buy property smarter, be better about it. So the buyer's advocacy space always appealed for me because mm. of that, mm. right? The thing was up on the Gold Coast at the time was it was it was very very infant and very very unrecognised by the average person. There were a few that held a really large part of the uh, market share, which is all very well, but it, it creates really high barriers to entry. So whilst it was a beautiful place to live, I saw the opportunity to be able to uh, further, I suppose, develop and, and take advantage of better opportunities down here in Sydney, where while buyers agency, buyers agency is still really infant. It had a lot more momentum. It was a lot more normalised. Like people were using it a lot more and knew what it what it was and were more willing to engage it. Something we were talking about off camera actually, and Kevin was like um, sharing his thoughts, and I want to get your opinion on mm. camera. Is Marcus has jumped in from being finance straight to being his own buyer's agent without going through that associate role or going mm. through a company. What's your advice to other agents who are aspiring? people, whether a buyer's advocate or a, or a real estate agent, what would your advice be? And, and do you think it's worth the- Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's obviously you've taken a big step and it's obviously worked out for you. I think if you have enough life experience, I think you can do most things pretty much straight off the bat if you understand the gist of it. Um, obviously it doesn't get done very often and you're obviously the first I've even heard do that. But what you have bought, I think is new business energy and I guess that's what's kind of driven you and pushed you further along where a lot of people that have been in the industry and a lot of my peers, they're a bit more lethargic about it and they're sitting back, they're waiting for business to come mm. to them. You're obviously going out hungry, chasing it. And at the same time, when you're an associate or an assistant to a buyer's agent or a selling agent, you've also got a cushion or a barrier where, hey, look, I'm still gonna get paid my weekly wage regardless of if I do a deal or, or if I don't where you're pretty much sink or swim. Hey, if I don't buy something or help a client buy something or get a client on board to help them buy something, I'm not probably, I'm not eating. <laughs> so, that's literally. It, that's it, yeah, I, I literally stuff. Um, you're 100% right. Mm. For me, man, like I, I look at events in my life, I look at, you know, like I moved out of home at 18 straight away to go to university, which isn't that unheard of, but done that and then moving to Australia with you know, a suitcase and setting myself up and I've always been not independent, just you know, that word alone, but sort of like comfortable being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. I think is, is the way to, to put it. And have you always been like that? Like from a young age? Where do you think it comes from? My dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes from my man. So look I I had a pretty good childhood today, like to be honest. I didn't probably mm -hmm. appreciate it at the time, but mm -hmm. man, my kid take me out and we'd be doing these, you know, eight or nine hour tramps and staying in huts with no service and all this. And like, Whoa. That, that's, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, I look back now and I was just thinking, I'm tired, like, I'm 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 like, I
But yeah, looking back, it was pretty awesome, and, and I was incredibly uncomfortable for that entire walk. But I got to understand that when I finished it, when we got to the heart, I got to really appreciate it and enjoy just resting and not having to do it. Um, and I think going through all that and, and getting those experiences, you know, taught me that being in those situations and delaying gratitude uh, can pay dividends. So I'm curious to understand, like uh, we had a quick two minute chat off camera, you've now gotten to a point where you've hit a level of momentum in such a short period of time. What did your daily tasks look like at, when you started to actually get in underneath the business and beat your competitors? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So, I mean, I always put a really big focus on upskilling myself. Okay, and I think if you're not going to constantly learn and surround yourself with people who can help you to learn, then you're going to become very stagnant in your business, all right? And obviously, the way I transitioned and did that, it made that difficult. So I had to find ways to do that. But my first you know, month, two months of my journey was all about any, any um, communication, any interaction that I have, whether it's with a business partner, with a potential client, I want to be just as, not just look, but be just as effective and competent as any other competitor out there. And that was something I could control, mm. right? So I put a lot of priority on that and made sure that I had confidence mm. that what I was delivering mm. was as good as a service as anyone else out there. Mm. Right? Now it's obviously a lot different because the business priorities change. I'm still looking to learn and evolve and everything else. But at that stage of the business when I first started, that was what was really important, I think. Yeah. And to get to that level of momentum, what hours were you kind of doing? And were you working five, six, seven days a week? Yeah, seven, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you don't not work when you're in property, I think. It's, it's a yeah. lifestyle, man. Like, yeah. the phone doesn't go off, uh, as in you don't turn it off. Um, you've always got to be on call. And at the same time, like, I, I like to be able to create a lifestyle that I like and I enjoy and then I love. It doesn't mean I sit in front of a computer from nine to five and clock my hours and, and have a schedule, you know, like that's, mm. that's not what I'm about. So, you know, I, I'd say six or seven days a week, I'll be actively working, um, but what that looks like, it you know, varies week to week. Yeah, definitely. And how have you found, obviously you've jumped into one of the most competitive markets in Sydney, if not the country, how have you gone about differentiating yourself? I know, obviously you touched on it before, but are there any particular marketing strategies you put in place or anything that you're doing differently to your competitors? Yeah, I wouldn't say marketing strategies, and that's probably just a scalability thing at this point. Um, further down the line, you know, that kind of thing will probably take a bit of charge. But at this stage for me, it's really just looking at what is unique about me and my business and that's what I am in my business. That's what's unique at the moment. So for me, when I'm talking to clients, it's I'm your point of contact. I'm not outsourcing the inspections. I'm not outsourcing the, you know, the analysis of the property, the pricing of the property, the evaluation. I'm the one who does all of that. It stays within the same brain and I communicate it to you. And we go back and forth and I become your point of contact for the whole transaction. So at, at this you know, current time, as it has been for the past 18 months, that's what I've really been... Uh, pushing is, is my point of difference, you know, and then you've got your, your other stuff which comes along, you know, you're young and you're energetic and you don't have kids so you can, you know, go out <laughs> and others can't and all that kind of shit, but, which is all true, but yeah, I think looking at me and my business and where my kind of strength was, someone credit as a weakness, I managed to find a way to make it a strength, I think. Yeah, energy, new business energy, love it. You got it, yeah. 
Um, and in terms of like your own strategy to help you keep that momentum and keep that pace up of six, seven days a week, do you have any self-care measures? Are you like working? It looks like you work out, but <laughs> working out, uh, any meditation, stuff like that to help you keep in tune? I don't know that shit. Sorry to my language. I, I really into it. <laughs> Go um, for it. I honestly think meditation is so underrated. I think that self-care, mm. the concept itself is so underrated. People don't get burnt out because they work too much. I think people get burnt out because they don't self-care enough mm. around their work. Great know? point. And it's, for me, like I, I like to exercise, I like to go to the gym. Um, I don't run like he does, I'm not a runner, I'm not built for it. Uh, but yeah, that, I like to meditate, I like to eat healthy, mm. makes a massive difference. And I think once you've, once you put those things together and you guys will agree, once you experience it and you see the difference it makes mm. in your work life and in your sleep and in your energy levels and your focus and everything else, it's not something you want to give up. 100%. When you were starting out, something I'm interested in, I'm sure a lot of the either associates transitioning to their own agent is how did you have the confidence to build your business and what were the activities you were doing? Was it meeting with referral partners? Was it, you know, prospecting heaps? What were the beginning activities you were doing to get the foundation set? Yeah, 100%. So to have the confidence to do it, I think, I mean, it's a non-negotiable. If you don't have that, you're going to sink. Okay, so you need to be confident in what you're doing. You need to be able to back your ability. You need to have good self-awareness. You need to know your strengths. You need to know your weaknesses because that's going to form the foundation as to what your business looks like. Right? In terms of what activity looked like, you pretty much pretty much said it. It was high, high volume, reaching out to existing referral partners that I knew through my previous finance role, uh, connecting with them. But it wasn't just connecting, it was it was understanding their business from a different angle, which mm. I think is really the key to B2B relationships um, and where there could be mutual value. Real estate agents, that was a new one for me, right? Because I, I didn't grow up on the northern beaches. So for me, you know, when you when you're speaking to agents and it's a lot of them have been there their whole lives. You know, so you're introducing yourself completely fresh. There's no first, second degree of, of knowing someone, connection. So that was, you know, where I thought I would have to work over time, I guess you could say, to mm. establish those relationships, yeah. 100%. And look, if, from the outside in, from a, seller, a selling agent's point of view, I don't know a whole lot about the buyer's agency world. How many calls are you usually doing throughout the day to agents, your clients? How, like, how many clients are you usually hovering at at the moment? Yeah, I like to have I think five to six for me is the sweet spot, but what it really comes down to is the type of client you got, right? Some clients, their, their brief and their budget and their, I suppose, aggression towards securing a property can mean that it might take three or four weeks. Some clients, you know, are going to take a fair bit longer. They could have a difficult brief. They could have, mm. and it's about being able to manage that because the number of people is only relevant to how difficult those people are, mm. all right, or how long each one is going to take. You know, that's how you, how you sort of form your pipeline. Um, but yeah, look, five or six is where I'm reasonably comfortable. In terms of calls, I mean, mate, between that and then meeting with people, I don't know where the number would be. I don't. I don't sit there personally, I don't sit there every morning and say I'm going to call X amount of people um, because that for me needs to look like where my priorities are for the day, okay? Um, but you know, you, if you're not talking to 20 plus agents a day, minimum, I'd say yeah, you know, well, you're, 
So are you getting most of your business from call lists that agents are providing you at the moment or is it more repeat referral clients already? Um, it's a mixture. I think most of my business probably comes from fresh B2B relationships. I don't think I'm at the stage yet from a time perspective where I've got that volume of previously settled mm. clients that you know can mm. pass me. I've had that begin to happen mm. over the past couple of months, which is exciting, man. It like, is. It's the best compliment, right? Yeah, it is. It's having um, someone referred from someone that you've helped and you've mm. done a good job. So that is starting to happen. Majority of my business, though, is still uh, straight from, from business partners. And so how are you getting those callies? Are you just calling the agents up directly and saying, hey, I've got a referral scheme for you. Would you be interested? Or how are you setting up those type of appointments? For me, it's about depth of relationship. You know, I think that if I can have lesser agents but a deeper relationship with them, it's going to help me because the conversion of the prospect is usually a bit better. You know, if I'm 500 agents that I have referral relationships with and they all just find me people left, right and centre who they haven't done any pre-backing on, they don't know what my business model looks like and the type of people mm. I can accommodate, they don't know what a good brief looks like, etc, etc, it can become difficult to manage and you can outscale yourself. So. For me, it was really about working with people who, first of all, I had a good personal relationship mm. with. And like, it's the same as any business, mm. right? Like you, you've got to be able to respect, appreciate, and get along with the person as a person, first and foremost, mm. I think. You share similar values, you share, mm. it doesn't have to be similar interests, but there's got to be some kind of, I hate the word synergy, but some kind of mm. synergy mm. Uh, there to be able to have a sustainable relationship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, depth, sustainability. So, so for example, let's say I was working on the Northern Beaches myself as a selling agent and obviously we had a good relationship. What type of client would you be asking me to send over? Would you be, would you be requesting for me to actually go ahead and ask and pop that question on the phone call to the buyers? Or is it a, bit a specific type of buyer that you're asking to get referred across to you? Or? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't like to tell my agents or strike my agents to ask that question because it's not their job to find me business, right? Mm. At the end of the day, I like to communicate with those people, the agents, and say if there's an opportunity whereby someone's struggling to buy a property, mm. and let's say, for example, that you know, time poor, missing out, uh, misinformed, you know, all those different things that we kind of look for and where they can see value, um, and they think there's going to be some synergy there, then by all means, I'll have a conversation with them. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's more so educating a real estate agent on mm. what to look for, the prompts are, and it's got to be about them seeing value, the, the buyer seeing value at the end of the day, mm. right? If, if they think that the buyer will see value in my service, that's the type of client I want to look after. Yeah, well, they have to. It's a healthy fee. You're getting paid at the end of the day. Exactly. <laughs> and the last thing you want, mate, is to have the combo with them at the start. Yeah. Then they go, oh, I have no idea this is what it was about. You know, I don't see value in this at all, and I don't this is going to help you. Yeah, okay. For sure. It's fair enough, you know, it happens, but so out of curiosity like what price point do you get most buyers that are more comfortable with paying that fee because obviously you know as a first home buyer i'm sure a lot of them would be like hey hold up a second like an extra 20 grand 30 grand or whatever it is on top of what i already have to pay it's probably going to be a bit of, mm -hmm. bit much of an ask mm -hmm. does it come to a pr certain price point where people are more comfortable with that i honestly thought when i started out it would Mm. But it just, it hasn't. Mm. It hasn't eventuated in that way. Um, I, I think that first home buyers 
and I don't know if it's just the people I've happened to have serviced, but they always see the value in the service a lot easier because they've never bought a property. Mm. You know, they are terrified and intimidated, quite frankly, of buying a property. Mm. So when they have someone who's going to represent that entire process for them, it's very easy for them to see the value. Yeah. So whilst the fee proportionately is a bit more, um, you know, compared to obviously what that looks like, I think they see the value very, very easily. For that reason, they're not too hesitant to engage the service. Yeah, okay. So that, that's interesting to me because it's funny when you have, go have a look, we had a guy by the name of Alex Cummins come on the podcast um, yesterday actually, and he's from Quakers Hill, yeah. uh, works in Josh Cheslin's team and they deal with, I think it's, their average sale price is 800 grand. And he said that he very rarely comes across them, maybe mm. I think they have one last week or the week prior, but none after that. So it sounds like a pretty good niche market to jump into then. Yeah, is that first home buyers you mean? First home buyers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's opportunity there to really take on that piece because the, the service looks different, I think, you mm. know, when you look after a first home buyer. Communication's mm. slightly different. You're explaining little things that would otherwise go unsaid with experienced home buyers. Yeah, or, for sure. You know, people at higher price points. So yeah, I think um, I think there is opportunity there if you can um, mm. From your experience, Marcus, at the moment, we've we've talked a bit about prospecting and lead generation. What other parts of being a buyer's agent do you see as a challenge? Is it sourcing? Is it you know dealing with agents, or is it managing the client? I think dealing with agents and buying property is the easiest part of being a buyer's agent. To be honest with you, I think the the challenge with being a, a buyer's agent is. First of all, having a, a really watertight model to source and generate business at the, very, at the front end. Okay, mm. and that's what the majority of, of people obviously look to prioritise. Without the pipeline, you don't have a business. Um, by securing the, the property itself, I think is is. Well, I mean, if you found a buyer's agent, you found it hard to buy property. You probably probably not very good. <laughs> where, where do you think a lot of buyers go wrong? Like I know from my experience at the moment, where I'm seeing a lot of buyers struggle is they just have no idea what they're doing. Like they, they, they struggle to substantiate what a property is valued at. Uh-huh. They're very, they're not proactive in trying to source properties. They just look on realestate.com domain. Uh-huh. There's no real strategy or game plan. It's just kind of like hit and stick type of mentality. What's your experience been with buyers and where they're going wrong? Very naive, I think very naive. Um, the, the challenge in Australia is that the media really drives people's perception of the property market, you know? And yeah. like, whatever they've seen on Nine News the night before, determines what they do the next day. Like, mm-hmm. if the market's crashing, they'll sit back and go, oh, I'm out, you know, close the real estate app. But if they say the market's booming, it's a massive shit and tell you where they get behind it. So it's trying to sort of tune them to navigate that, to mm-hmm. be even smarter. And as a, as a BA, you become their advisor for that, right? Which is fantastic. But you've got to understand that so much of, what they've already got in their head and their understanding mm. is determined by something that a lot of the time doesn't apply to the situation. Now the other one is that people look at tend to look at the Australian market as a whole. So when they say, oh prices are coming down, it's like okay, where? Yeah. Where? What suburb? What price point? Does it does it impact you the same way it impacts someone buying a, a property that's three or four times more? Um, and, and being able to kind of break that down and just change their understanding a little bit so their expectation changes. And that's the thing, man. Expectation. Right? Yeah. How you tell me Honestly, like, but how you set that expectation yeah. with a client at the start is going to determine how successful your service is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
you direct where that's going to end up. Out of curiosity, coming from New Zealand to Australia, were there many, you might have been a bit young at that stage, but were you aware of many buyers agents uh, over in New Zealand at all? I've never heard of it, man. Yeah. I didn't even know it was a thing until um, I was a couple of years into being here. Yeah. It still isn't isn't much of a thing in New Zealand. Yeah. I think there's maybe one or two. Mm. Um, that could be really wrong, but I've got a feeling there's not many. Uh, <laughs> Would you ever go back and give it a crack in New Zealand? I don't know if the market's there for it. I don't know mm. if the market's there for it. It, it, it. The market over there behaves quite a bit differently. Um, How so? I think that, I mean, first of all, you've got your lending restrictions, right? So I think uh, they've pulled PPOR lending down to like 70% LVR. Oh no, eighty really? LVR max investments down to seventy percent. Really? Maybe even less. Yeah, it's something. Something. Really. I was talking to a mate of mine, Luke, who bought an investment property recently, and he got in just before they pulled the max LVR back. Um, so you've got way different dynamics at play. And when you understand that, you know, like as a as a BA, like if we saw that, when you're an investor, could only lend a certain amount of yeah. property, we take advantage of that, right? Yeah. If that competition. Um, but yeah, just it behaves a lot differently. I mean, your, your price discrepancy from your major cities to your smaller towns is largely different. Your appreciation in those areas is largely different. Your infrastructure is different. Um, and I think the biggest one is your, your clients are a lot different. You see, they think and they behave, what I understand to be differently to how I observe the average Australian. Mm. I'm not saying either's right or wrong, saying either's better or worse. But I think they're different. I really do. Which one's easier? Easier. Easier to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, I guess uh, when you're working in those beaches, what's what I find in in the hills is we're only really pretty much doing um, pretty much weekend inspections. Are you being able to go and see properties all day long, every day? Yeah. Or how are you guys doing it? Depends on the situation. Like I, I always try to inspect as many as I can privately, and I'm very fortunate with my agent relationships up there. It allows me to do that. if you're leaving it all to Wednesday and Saturday and you've got five or six clients on the book and mm. they're in different suburbs or different areas or whatever that looks like, you're gonna have a really hard time piecing yeah. that together. Uh, so yeah, using a bit of initiative and trying to try and work that out during the week to make it easier. Mainly off market or on market deals are you doing? I'd say at the moment it, it's it's pretty split. It was formerly a lot more off market stuff. Mm. I think it was with the run up to Christmas and it will flip soon as we get closer to Christmas, but a lot of vendors in the Northern Beaches is just opting to push it to market and I think it's just indicative of how the market's behaved for the last 12 months. Do you prefer to secure your deals pre-auction or at auction? Pre. Really? It's pre. Yeah. Why pre? I feel like it's on my terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I had this argument with Daniel and to <laughs> be honest, it's the same thing. <laughs> but it, I, I, I think if, if it was me, I understand the logic of going pre, but the only reason I would, as a selling agent, sell the property pre-auction is if you give me a really, really good offer. Otherwise, I'm running it to auction. Mm. And then I think, well, if I'm buying, if I was to buy pre-auction, it means that the agent's thinking that they've got a really, really good offer. If you take it to auction, yes, there is the chance that it goes well, well, well above. But at the same time, I also know that I'm probably paying market value for whatever whatever the amount may be. Mm. What's your thinking around buying pre-auction instead of at auction? Yeah, I think, because I have confidence in determining the figure. Right? Okay. At the end of the day, so 
however I justify that figure to be, my clients, if they are comfortable with it and are confident with it, we're comfortable with an offer forward for it. Mm. Okay, if it's a PPLI property, they're going to look at that differently as to whether it's an investment property. When we go to auction, and look, I have nothing against auctions. Like I, I like purchasing property there as well, purchasing property anywhere, to be honest with you. But when we are at auction, there is more out of our control that can happen to push that price up. And it might not, but mm. it is there. Mm. And it does exist. And emotion does happen. And look, I'll, I'll you know, as, as a BA, we'll give an indication as to what that competition looks like going into the auction. You know, if we've got an auction a couple of days off and you were the agent, I'd call you and say, mate, well, Cali, where's the interest? You know, where's the expectation from the vendor? This is our point at the moment. Is that realistic? Using that feedback and being able to conduct an understanding of it, if you have a business relationship with the agent, which you hope you would, you can usually determine whether it's in your client's best interest to you know, have to proceed to that point. My answer always, you're in the front seat, come to auction. What do you do as an agent if you've guided, let's say the property's worth one and a half, you've mm. guided one million, and I've put an unconditional offer at 1.25 prior to auction to raise your, to raise your guide <coughs> price. At this moment, the owners have uh, told us to reject all offers. We're not looking at offers at the moment, but come to auction. Even, even if I put come, an unconditional- Come to auction. Really? See at auction. Wow. Fucking good on but um, no, look, I, I understand where you guys are where you guys are coming from that you get to determine, and if you do know that value, um, when how are you getting your off market deals? Like, how are you actually sourcing those off market deals? Are you are you hounding the agents every single week, yeah. or are you just putting asking to get put onto mailing lists? Or um, I don't know, um, you get mm. too many of them. Yeah, yeah I don't like it. you got to call them. I feel. Yeah, you, you got to call them, man. Like, and the mailing lists. They, they don't just go out to buyers agents, or some Everyone. do, some agents do, but otherwise they go to the database a lot of the time, you probably know that. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't see getting a real advantage from it, or as much as an advantage is probably the better way to put it. Um, I think activity on the phone is where you've got to go. For sure. And, yeah. yeah. That just comes from knowing your market, knowing your agents, and having good relationships, really. So understanding who are, got, who are the big guys doing the deals, calling them every week, saying, hey, what have you got on your books? Does it yeah. have anything to suit? 100%. Who, who's got the momentum? And like, if I can talk to an agent, they can tell me who's appraised the property. Oh, sorry, they can tell me about property that they've appraised in the area and they haven't got it. I know the property's going to come up anyway. It's just a matter of who's got it. So mm. it's working through that process. And that comes from relationships. Have you ever door knocked on one of those doors? No. That they, no. I would not do that. Okay. No yeah. Door, door knocking in itself is a, such a low percentage play. Like, I don't know if you've, you've done it. Yeah, we have. Not, not after an agent's giving me a tip, but I've found a... Like a vendor said, sorry, a buyer said, look, I want a property on X street or, you know, yeah, exactly. expedition, then I'll go and door knock the property. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like sometimes you get direct from homeowners, but. Yeah, but no, I, I, would, I would never do that mm. because that's, you know, advantageous information that I'm being, I'm privileged to know. Mm. And if I do to take advantage of that, mm. yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not good. It's not worth the little duty reputation. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And in terms of for sale property, when you're negotiating, or even auction really, pre-auction, how are you navigating that, uh, that offer sequence? Are you, let's say for example, there's a million dollar property, are you starting that offer at 900 or are you just going straight up near the top at 1 million? How, how do you actually navigate that process? 
mate, it comes down to knowing the deal, mm. right? Knowing the vendor, knowing how motivated they are, knowing mm. the agent. How do they act? Do they mm. wait to close deals early? Do they wait two weeks and then start testing offers after that? Mm. You know, and, and understanding that forms your, your acquisition strategy. Um, but in terms of where those offers are and what they look like, do you, do you see selling agents doing anything wrong uh, from a buyer's agent's point of view or, or through that buying and selling process? Do you see them do things that they that you think they could do better? Um, honest answer, yes. Mm. Not in the Northern Beaches market. I, and I don't just say that because none of them work there. I find that the majority of agents there are, are really good to work with. Mm. Um, but I have, when purchasing property for, agent, for, sorry, for clients in other areas, um, you know, I don't want to say too much, but yeah, sometimes sometimes agents act in a way that I don't believe is with the intention of securing a deal for their vendor. Yeah, okay. Okay, interesting stuff. Yeah, mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, mate, that's pretty much, pretty much sums it up. I've got one. What would you say from a, buy, from a selling agent side where mm. buyer's agents get it wrong? Um, I don't think they go wrong. Like I haven't actually dealt with too many in my area. You don't deal with it that much. Like I have closed a couple of deals over the years with buyer's agents. I think every time a buyer's agent comes to a selling agent, they come with the right intention. They're wanting to do a deal. And obviously I'm in the same boat. I want to get a deal done. And we're both in a, at a point where we're both going to be very transparent with each other yeah. because we both want the same thing out of, out of the situation. It's advantageous, isn't it, to have yeah. that level of understanding between a seller's agent and a buyer's agent. One thing that I think can really limit either of those parties is when they go in, you know, super shielded, mm-hmm. not like they look at the other person as the enemy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> we both want the same thing. I want to purchase property for my client in their best interest, and you want to sell a property if you're a vendor in their best interest, let's find a way to make that work. Oh, it's, yeah. it, to be honest with you, as soon as a buyer's agent walks through the door and they say they're interested, I'm pumped. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, we're getting this deal yeah. done. Like, regard, like, we're both going to get a situation where both the vendor and the buyer is going to be happy. Yeah. So, we're both going to be, it's a win win situation. The deal with, uh, like, dealing with buyers they've got a shield, like you said, they've got a shield and a wall up. Mm. Where a buyer's agent, they're coming forth and they're saying, hey, let's work together, let's get this deal done. So I, prefer, I actually much prefer to work with buyer's agents than buyer's. Yeah. I guess one, one last question for me, what would be your biggest advice in terms of people wanting to take the leap, whether that's move to a different country, a different state, a different career path? What would be your biggest advice? Back yourself. Mm. Yeah, you, you've got to back yourself. If, if you're, and that sounds so generic, right? back yourself. <laughs> honestly, man, like if you, if you don't have full confidence in what you're doing and you've got one eye looking in that revision mirror, it's already over. Mm. Got you. Love it. Thank you. The Kiwi genetics and the boys are so Kiwi, you know? Appreciate it. Well, mate, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Um, Awesome, mate. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Legendary. Awesome.